Well, can we give it up one more time for our amazing Joy Choir? I mean, I'm not really sure how you follow that, <laughs> but it is such a blessing to be in worship with all of you this morning. I am just overwhelmed with thankfulness for the different ways we get to experience worship here at Mount Horeb, from our joy choir to getting to partake in the sacrament of Holy Communion today on World Communion Sunday, and I got to serve alongside my girl Faye today. It, those are the things that pump me up for worship. And so I am excited to be here with you to share God's word together. For those of you that I have not met yet, maybe this is your first time with us or you're watching online for the first time. Um, I'm Emma Murphy. I'm the congregational care pastor here at Mount Horeb. If you see me after the service, introduce yourself. I would love to meet you. But I am excited to dig into God's word today. We are continuing on in our sermon series called Generosity, A Life Overflowing. And Chad did a great job last week kicking off this series here in the sanctuary. He reminded us of the importance of living our lives with open hands. The significance of being generous in all aspects of our life. He talked about how generosity is holistic. It is reflected in how we give financially, how we use our words, and how we give of our time and our talents. It is truly a reflection of our transformed hearts when we have a relationship with God. Today we are going to take a look at generosity from a bit of a different angle, though. We're going to study a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, when Jesus is dining at the home of a prominent Pharisee. How many of you remember being in middle school? Some of you may have to think way, way back. <laughs> I'm not calling you old or anything. I'm just saying you're seasoned in here, right? Well, it may be surprising to you, but um, it hasn't been too long since I was in middle school. I know I looked super old. But middle school is, what can I say? It's awkward. Everything about it is just, it's a clumsy age. Your body is changing for men. Your voice is changing. Everything about it is awkward. Actually, I... Um, humiliated myself today, and I brought a picture along to show you me from middle school. Let's check it out today. Yeah, I'm that person on the far right. This was nerd day at school, but um, that shirt that I'm wearing, it's a polo, and it says um, South Carolina Junior Scholar. So I was actually a nerd, not just pretending to be one. But you know, the worst part about middle school was the lunch table, right? The bell would ring, and everyone would be released into the big cafeteria, and you would run to the cafeteria to try to get the best table. I clearly remember one of my first days of middle school, and I power walked to the cafeteria, but not too fast, because if you're one of the first people there, then you have to sit by yourself, and that, yeah, you don't want to do that. So power walked to the cafeteria, but slow enough to wait for some people to sit down, and I scanned the whole entire room looking for the best seat, not by the trash cans. And I saw one table in the middle. There were two girls there that looked pretty friendly, and I thought, all right, I'll join that table. You see, in middle school, lunchtime is not just about the food. It's not just about eating your lunch. It's about making connections. It's about finding your friend group. It's about relationships. The seat that you pick matters. 
As we look at our main text today in Luke chapter 14, we read about some important lessons that Jesus teaches us around a table as well. At the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus is dining at the house of a Pharisee on the Sabbath. And the text says in verse 1, he is being carefully watched. If you know anything about the Pharisees during Jesus' time, it was that they were strict law followers and enforcers. They were known, or they knew that Jesus was known for being a little bit rebellious, dining with sinners, you know, healing on the Sabbath. So they were watching him carefully. They were waiting to catch Jesus in a defiant act. But what I love about the context of this passage is that as it goes on, there's a shift in who is watching who. Verse 7 begins with three words, when he noticed, referring to Jesus. So now Jesus is carefully watching the people at this meal. So first he notices the guests and how they pick the places of honor at the table. And so he proceeds to tell them a parable. He says, this is picking up in verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pause here for a moment in the story. You see, dining together was a very important tool in the ancient world. When you were invited to a meal, guests were seated proximate to the host according to their stature. And this culture was one of competition, so status was something that you had to work for. Climbing the social ladder was totally by your own efforts. Dining then at a Pharisee's home was kind of like a type of currency in the Jewish society. This gift of being invited to a meal was a social exchange. It was an act to gain power over others and then put them in debt to you. So if I give you this gift of inviting you to seat, sit at this nice seat at my table to kind of network for yourself and meet some other important people in those same spots or work your way up the social ladder, then you're in my debt. And you either have to pay me back with a similar gift or offer up some favor. Therefore, there are only certain people that are invited to meals such as these because those are the people that can repay the host with a status boost. It's a you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours mentality. So in this first part of the passage today, Jesus begins his teaching after this careful observation that the guests at this dinner party were choosing to sit at the places of honor at the table. They jockeyed for certain seats closest to the host because they wanted others to recognize their importance. But Jesus says to them, however, in the form of a parable, of course, because it's Jesus, don't do this. Take the lowest place instead so that the host has the opportunity to move you up. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Now, of course, when Jesus teaches in parables, they can be a bit confusing. Through this parable, he's not offering a divinely approved way for someone to ultimately still get what they want, an increase in status. He's not telling them just to take the low seat so they'll get noticed and move up. He's not simply giving them an etiquette lesson. That's missing the point. Rather, Jesus is exemplifying the importance of humility. Friends, we must first understand that gospel generosity flows from a humble heart. And so how do we get humble? How do we strive for humility? Well, I believe we must seek wisdom and knowledge of ourselves and of God. Digging into his word, spending time in prayer, surrounding yourself with a community of believers, finding mentors who will speak truth into your life, finding a place to serve. When we get to know ourselves and recognize our inability to do good apart from God's grace, we are filled with wonder about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. We are overwhelmed overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness and awe of who God is and overwhelmed with the need for Christ. When we fully grasp these things, our hearts are then transformed. Instead of taking the place of honor at the table, we realize that we really aren't worthy to be seated at the table at all. And so we give up our seats so others can sit there. You see, the Pharisees' motive was seeking status, seeking to be seen. But gospel generosity is not about status. It's about humble service. As Jesus continues to watch at this meal, he then shifts his attention from the guests to the host. He says to the man who had invited him, this is picking up in verse 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your brothers or your friends or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I was reading a commentary this week um, from author and theologian N.T. Wright about this particular part of the passage. And he made the comment that he was preaching a sermon on, on this text about the countercultural message that Jesus is giving about don't invite you know, your, your family, your friends, or your neighbors to dinner. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. And N.T. Wright goes on to say that the sermon had a strange effect In the course of the next week, him and his wife received numerous dinner invitations from people in the congregation that Sunday. And he said, which category we fell into, the poor, the lame, the blind, we were too polite or too anxious to ask. So if Truman and I start getting dinner invitations after the sermon, we're going to be quite suspicious. (laughs) But as we read, after Jesus addresses the guest, he then turns to the role of the host. You see, what Jesus is getting at here is that once we realize how we are to approach the table as guests, once we humbly come to the table, we ourselves are then called to host our own party. 
Jesus tells the host not to invite friends or family or rich neighbors to the meal because they may invite you back and repay you. Let me remind you, in this hierarchical society, in order to move up the social ladder, you needed to know the right people. So you strategically invited those people to your house to gain power and influence. Jesus tells them, don't do that. Instead, invite the people who can't pay you back. I believe Jesus' teaching moment to the host gives us three important lessons to take with us today about how we, too, are called to be a generous host. First, a generous host sets a table at their own cost and doesn't expect anything in return. I read a study this week from 2019, which I'm sure it's probably even more now, thank you inflation, but when counting food and drinks and decor, the average American party host will spend $1,422.65 a year on party planning. But on top of that money spent, including planning, shopping, setting up, and tearing down afterward, the average party takes 10 hours of labor for the host when all is said and done. Friends, being a host costs something. When Jesus is giving this lesson to his prominent Pharisee host, he's explaining that they shouldn't spend all this time throwing and planning a party, carefully going through the guest list, and strategically placing people at certain spots at the table so that the person that benefits the greatest from the evening is still them. That the money The time and the effort they put into this is so that they can get something such as elevation in status or an invitation to an even better meal. Jesus tells his party host that when hosting a meal, do not invite those who can repay you. Rather, invite those that cannot give you something in return. You see, the motive of why we give is just as important, if not more important, than the actual gift. Jesus warns us that if you are solely being generous for your own benefit, then you're not doing it right. If you are only giving to people that can do something for you, you're not a very generous host. Gospel generosity does not equal reciprocity. This was a really cool week for me because I got to hear so many stories about many of you in our congregation that are exemplifying this gospel generosity. From building ramps to those that are mobility impaired, to writing cards for those that are sick, to donating money to build homes in Liberia, to coming alongside our friends that are experiencing poverty There are so many amazing stories of generosity here at our church, and I am seriously thankful to be able to serve with a congregation that exemplifies this type of generosity. I heard about a couple here that came to the We the Kingdom concert we had earlier in the year, and they brought their grandchildren. And during that concert, there was a video played that showed some children drinking water that was unclean in different countries around the world. This precious couple was already supporting some children through Compassion International, but God was really pulling at their heartstrings to do more. They felt called to give funds to help provide clean water in these places that had none. Clean water that was essential to live. When I talked to the husband, he said this, I had this burden on my heart that I couldn't get off my mind. 
This money is not ours anyway. We have been entrusted with it by God. This couple is not doing this because they expect anything in return. Rather, they are wanting to extend and save lives for the glory of God. To be a generous host, to be a follower of Jesus, there will be things that we give that will cost us something. Our finances, our time, our talents, our comfort. And as we give of these things, we should not expect anything in return. As Christ followers, our lives, our actions, our decisions should look different than the average world. We give because we love God and we love people. Our choices are other-centered, not self-centered. But here's the wonderful truth in all of that, friends. While we shouldn't expect anything in return, the repayment is truly so much greater. In Acts 20, 35, the Apostle Paul reminds us of Jesus' words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Being a generous host requires sacrifice. But it should be a glad sacrifice because even more blessing flows from it. The blessing of being a generous person, the priceless joy that comes along with exuding the love of Jesus to everyone we meet. The second lesson we learned from Jesus' conversation with the Pharisee is that a generous host invites everyone to come. When Jesus says, do not invite your friends and family, he is not asserting that someone can never invite this group of people to dinner. Rather, he is claiming that they should not be the only ones on the guest list. Everyone should be invited to come. I think it's important to look at Jesus' choice of words here, though. He doesn't say, provide for the needs of the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He says, invite them. Invite them. Jesus is accentuating to this group of important people that, yes, it's crucial to invite people that can't repay you, but not so that you can provide for their needs, but so that you can sit around your table with them, share a meal with them, and better yet, share community with them. Y'all, it feels good to serve those that have needs. It feels good to feel like we are doing good But in some of these situations where we serve, there are still some separating factors. There are still walls up between us and those receiving our service. And unfortunately, I believe that sometimes shame and inferiority are are felt on the receiving side. We don't serve people for, for them to feel that way on purpose, but sometimes it can be difficult to navigate how to help in these capacities. Now, I'm not telling you not to, you know, to feed the poor, not to, to help people that have needs. What I am saying, though, is that Jesus is telling the host that this invitation is not a service project. Our generosity should not be a service project. It is not a pity invitation to say that we did something nice for someone. Like that middle school cafeteria table. This passage is more than just food. It's about more than just food. It's about building relationships. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving because, well, I like to eat. 
Anybody love Thanksgiving out there? Yes? Well, I seriously do. I love getting up early in the morning with my mom, and we would prepare food all day. We'd watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the National Dog Show, of course, and we'd wear our pajamas all morning and dance around the kitchen. I don't even know why Truman married me, but he knows I'm fun. That's why. (laughs) But Thanksgiving at our house is just, it's such a fun day, and it's such an intimate day. It's you know, it's just our parents, our grandparents, occasionally, you know, um, a boyfriend of mine or a girlfriend of my brother's if they got lucky that year. But it's really just, it's a small group. It's an intimate group because we like to be surrounded by our favorite people giving thanks. But there was one particular year for Thanksgiving that changed everything for me. My uncle um, struggled with alcoholism and was in a program up in the upstate for several months. And when he graduated from that program that completely changed his life, he ended up working at um, a halfway home for young men who also struggled with addiction. And so one year, my parents felt like it would be wonderful to invite these young men that didn't have a place to go on Thanksgiving to our home. And I remember my mom telling me this, and I'm embarrassed to say this now, but I welled up with anger. I did not want these people that I didn't know and didn't care to spend my day with to interrupt our Thanksgiving, to come and sit at our table. And so for many days, I was, um, I had a pretty bad attitude about it. But I remember on Thanksgiving Day, my perspective changed pretty quickly. Yeah, there were some awkward moments for sure around the table, but it really was such a cool day. These men had all come from different backgrounds and had different stories to tell us. We spent that day getting to learn from them and hear how God was working in their lives. And I remember thinking to myself, how selfish are you, Emma? But also being so thankful that God convicted my heart that day to the blessing of having new and unique voices at our table. From then on, our Thanksgivings have looked a little bit different. Some years are smaller than others. But we always have seats open at our table for family, friends, neighbors, and and even strangers that may not have a place to go. The word hospitality in the Greek language is literally translated as love of a stranger. This lesson from Jesus at the table of the Pharisee does not say eliminate the needs Send food to the poor. Instead, he says, sit at the table together. As I read in a commentary this week, the clear sign of acceptance, of recognizing others as one's equals, of cementing fellowship, is breaking bread together. So I ask you today, church, do you have open seats at your table? Who in your life right now could you invite to dinner? A generous host invites everyone to come and join in at the table. Finally, what we learned from this text about becoming a generous host is that a generous host is a reflection of Jesus, our host. We only know these lessons and how to truly be a generous host because they are a direct reflection of who our Savior is and what he has done for us. He is the one who models and teaches us how we should do this. 
Jesus is the greatest host of all. In the Gospels, we read about another table that Jesus himself hosted. The table in an upper room. The table that was set just before Jesus would make the ultimate sacrifice. You see, Jesus set this table at his own cost and did not expect anything in return. During the meal, he took bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said to take and eat it because it was his body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them and said, drink of this. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This bread and this cup represented his own body and blood that would be shed and sacrificed for all the people sitting around that table and for so many more. He set his table at his own cost and he never expected reciprocity because he knew they could not repay him. And Jesus invited everyone to his table. As we look around at the faces at that table that night, there were people there that would be the very people that would stab Jesus in the back. Peter would deny him three times and was seated at the table. And as I was studying this narrative this week, a lot of commentators make the argument that Judas was actually in one of the seats of honor at the table. Matthew 26, 23 says, Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Scholars argue that in order to reach Jesus' bowl, Judas must have been sitting in one of the most important spots. The very man that would betray him was seated in one of the highest honored places next to Jesus at the table. While Jesus knew that Judas would betray him and that Peter would deny him, he still sat and shared a meal with them. He invited them to come. He welcomed them graciously and served them as an extraordinarily generous host. He hosted an open table. Church, Jesus has set and invited us to that table too. The prophet Isaiah declares, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, God incarnate, took the very nature of a servant and went to the cross to pay the penalty for all of us that could absolutely never repay him. He is the most generous host that never invites for repayment or status. He is the host that never invites with the possibility that we will return the favor. He is the host that continues to invite us again and again to dine with him. He is the host that always makes sure that there is space for more at the table. So today, as you approach the Lord's table, as you partake in these generous and costly elements of Jesus' body and his blood, remember and receive his grace. 
how will you approach the table today as a guest? And as you leave this place this morning, will you go and be a generous host just as Jesus has generously hosted us? Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful that you continuously invite us to your table. We thank you for being a generous host that teaches us how to be generous hosts. God, today as we come to your table, let us receive your grace and remember the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us all those years ago. We love you and we lift up all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.